Hello everyone and welcome to the May 31st edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Let's get started with our litigation report. The California Supreme Court limited the definition of employment for thousands of farm workers, janitors, food service workers, and others in the case of Martinez v. Combs. Here's what happened. Isidro Munoz hired about 180 farm workers to pick strawberries. Munoz then sold the strawberries to two distributors, Guadalupe-based Apio Incorporated and Combs Distribution Company of Santa Maria. Munoz filed for bankruptcy after he was unable to pay the workers their wages. The farm workers then sued the two upstream strawberry distributors claiming that Industrial Welfare Commission wage order number 14-2001 requires the distributors who bought the strawberries from Munoz to pay minimum wages. They argued that the wage order provides that upstream entities that benefit from the work are obligated to make sure that at least a minimum wage is paid to workers who make the product. The Supreme Court noted that the wage order is 97 years old, dating back to the enactment of Labor Code Section 1194 in 1913. Neither the legislature nor any court decision has been called upon to decide the question of who is responsible for payment under this wage order. In ruling against the farm workers, the Supreme Court found that an interpretation of the wage order that would force liability on upstream distributors would be too broad in application. The court noted that clearly the statute should not extend to upstream users such as the grocery stores that purchased the strawberries from the defendants and the consumers who in turn purchased strawberries from the grocery stores. There was no guidance in the statute or regulation to show where the line should be drawn in the chain of upstream purchasers. The Supreme Court concluded that such a broad interpretation must be announced only by the legislature in the plainest terms after vigorous debate. The Court of Appeal awarded partial back VRMA to LA County Fire Department Battalion Chief Clifton Norton. Here's what happened. Norton was injured at work and was awarded VR maintenance allowance for two periods of time, one at the delay rate, the other at the regular rate. In December 2008, shortly before Labor Code Section 139.5 was repealed, the county petitioned the WCAB for reconsideration. The county contended that Norton was not entitled to any maintenance allowance and he was not entitled to receive any allowance at the delay rate. The petition for reconsideration did not specifically contest the VR allowance for the non-delay period. The WCAB denied reconsideration and affirmed the entire award. The county petitioned for a writ of review contending that Norton's right to maintenance allowance ended with the repeal of Section 139.5. To resolve the case, the Court of Appeal had to determine whether the county petitioned for reconsideration for all or only a portion of the allowance. 
any part of the award not included would have become final before the repeal of Section 139.5. It is a long-standing rule that a party may appeal from only a specific part of a judgment, leaving other parts in full force. Exceptions are made when part of the judgment is so interwoven that the remainder should be extended to the entire judgment. The court found that the award of allowance at the non-delay rate was not included in the county's petition for reconsideration and presents a separate issue from the remainder of the award. That part of the allowance award became final two days before the repeal of Section 139.5. The remainder of the maintenance allowance award was, however, reversed by the Court of Appeal. The Court of Appeal found a bankrupt employer with self-funded retention was not uninsured and affirmed the dismissal of an employee's civil action. Here's what happened in the case of Kosky versus Consolidated Freightways Corporation. Laura Kosky was a passenger in a tractor driven by a fellow employee who fell asleep at the wheel. Soon after the incident, Consolidated filed a voluntary petition for bankruptcy under Chapter 11 of the U.S. Bankruptcy Code. Kosky unsuccessfully pursued a bankruptcy adversary proceeding against the employer seeking $240 million in damages. After failing to recover in bankruptcy court, Kosky filed a state court complaint contending a single cause of action for motor vehicle negligence. In order to avoid the exclusive remedy provisions of the law, she alleged that Consolidated did not have workers' compensation insurance at the time of the accident. The Superior Court granted the employer's summary judgment motion based upon the employer's evidence of having workers' compensation insurance at the time. Kosky appealed the summary judgment against her to the Court of Appeal, who agreed with the employer on insurance coverage in their unpublished opinion. Consolidated submitted its policy and endorsements, consisting of over 400 pages, including a self-funded retention endorsement for California. The retention required Consolidated to pay all indemnity and medical benefits to each injured employee before the insurance company was required to make payments. A significant provision of the retention endorsement, however, provided that if Consolidated defaulted on its obligation to pay benefits, then the insurance company would be obligated to do so. This evidence established that Consolidated was insured for injuries incurred by its employees during the course of employment. Although Consolidated filed bankruptcy, it was not self-insured and Kosky did not have any evidence to suggest otherwise. The Court of Appeal noted that Kosky confused Consolidated's self-funded retention with self-insurance. The California self-funded retention endorsement obligated the insurer to pay all claims even if Consolidated failed to pay the $2 million retention. 
A San Diego jury found that the city of Oceanside did not violate state employment law when it removed a partially disabled police veteran from patrol. Here are the facts of that case. In 2006, the WCAB found that police officer Nathaniel Brazelton was 32% disabled from a back injury caused by wearing an equipment belt on patrol. In 2007, Brazelton planned to transfer from the Detective Bureau, which did not usually require the belt, to patrol, which did. The city scheduled him for several fitness tests, all of which he did not attend on his lawyer's advice. Since his doctors found he should be restricted from wearing his belt, he was placed on light duty to prevent further injury or to jeopardize public safety. Finally, after taking and passing a fitness exam in summer 2008, Oceanside allowed him to return to duty as a patrol officer. The jury found the city fulfilled its legal duty to accommodate the officer. Oceanside will file a motion to recoup about $40,000 in trial costs from the officer, and he will fight that motion. And now our fraud report. Two managers of Salinas Smurfit Stone Container Company, David Polk and Douglas Tatioka, were each given a 29-day jail term, fined several hundred dollars, and placed on three years of probation for workers' compensation violations. They will serve the jail term through community service hours. Prosecutors said the case was the culmination of a two-year investigation which began when two employees came forward with complaints. New alleged victims came forward during the following months, raising the criminal accounts to a total of 108. After a 10-month preliminary hearing, both managers pleaded no contest to four misdemeanor charges with the assurance that they would not face jail time. They took the plea but continued to maintain they did nothing wrong. Defense attorney Richard Rosen said the prosecutor's case was weak as evidenced by the minimal sentence that was imposed by the Superior Court judge. During a 10-month preliminary hearing, the defense presented evidence that the state insurance commissioner's office asked local prosecutors to shift the focus on fraud prosecutions from workers to employers. Defense attorney Michael Lawrence, who grilled prosecutors Reed and Hazel on the stand, said it was a case of arrest first and investigate later. They claimed the investigation ignored evidence that contradicted witness statements. The defense lawyers asked the judge to publicly admonish the district attorney's office for relentlessly pursuing a flawed prosecution. The U.S. Justice Department has dropped their probe of AIG executives and the involvement in the credit default swaps that sent the company to the brink of bankruptcy. The probe focused on whether those responsible misled investors about the company's accounting losses. Defense lawyers confirmed that the probe has been dropped. AIG said it welcomed the decision and will continue to cooperate with authorities. 
They intend to strengthen their business and repay American taxpayers for the bailout. And in administrative news, the DWC has modified its draft physician fee schedule and has posted an online forum for public review and comment. The changes will in part adopt the RB, RVS, and ground rules relating to calculation of fees. The revised proposal also makes minor grammatical changes for clarity and consistency and adds detail regarding status code indicators. The regulations include a transition period of four years during which the three conversion factors for surgery, radiology, and all other converge to a single factor in year five. All three categories will end up with a conversion factor of 60. Because anesthesia services are not comparable to the RVUs, RVUs for the other categories, anesthesia will have its own factor of 34. In year six, conversion factors will be adjusted each year for inflation using the Medicare Economic Index. The DWC has modified its proposed workers' compensation information system regulations. The WCIS collects comprehensive claims information for administrators by way of electronic data interchange. The statistical data is used by the DWC to guide policy determinations, evaluate system costs, and assist in measuring indemnity payments. Claims administrators began transmitting basic claims information to the WCIS in March 2000. The w a DWC also posted a transcript of the comments made during the first public hearing that took place in December. Only two members of the community provided less than 20 minutes of feedback to the DWC according to this transcript. Public comment is a vital step to administrative rulemaking. The process helps avoid ambiguous language and unintended consequences. Members of the public can now comment on the proposed revisions until 5 p.m. on Thursday, June 10. A new CWCI report confirms that medical costs are higher now than before SB 899. Medical costs declined sharply after the implementation of SB 899, but Data collected during the 2006 period revealed that the post-reform reduction in medical costs was short-lived. By 2008, data from the WCIRB confirmed what appears to be a permanent change to a trend of upward spiral in medical costs. The latest CWCI study published this month updates and expands on prior studies by examining data through June 2009. The study confirmed that the significant decreases in medical payments immediately after the implementation of SB 899 was followed by an increase in medical expenditures through June of 2009. Average paid medical costs per claim are now significantly higher than they were before the 2003-2004 reforms. A future study will investigate the individual and collective influence of these factors on medical costs in the California workers' compensation system.
Risk managers claim that the state budget shortfalls are hindering the resolution of workers' compensation cases and may increase employer claims costs as states cut back on judges and other critical staff. Administrative delays increase litigation expenses and hamper return-to-work efforts. Several observers who manage claims say resolution problems have increased in the past years as states cut staff. The National Conference of State Legislatures April report forecasts no end in sight to state budget gaps. 31 states and Puerto Rico foresee 2012 budget gaps of at least $73.5 billion while 21 states project fiscal 2013 gaps of at least $64.7 billion. Both self-insured employers and risk managers are deeply concerned. However, other sources say having fewer state workers dedicated to resolving workers' compensation claims may be appropriate, as there has been a nationwide decline in injuries for several years. That's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone or iPod by searching for WorkComp Academy in the iTunes Store. Again, I'm Renee Foltz with Floyd, Scarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us, and please visit us again next week for more news.